0: This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant.
1: America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org.
0: This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media in the Great South, we're delighted to welcome a leader who's dedicated to strengthening the rule of law and freedom. And our next guest is from Sweden. Charlie Weimers is a freshman member of the European Parliament for the Sweden Democrats and sits in the European Conservatives and Reformers Group. He serves on both the European Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee and the Civil Liberties Justice and Home Affairs Committee. Charlie is a strong supporter of the transatlantic relationship and his efforts in Brussels are focused on limiting the growth of the EU federal government and in particular promoting fiscal conservatism, prevention of illegal immigration through stronger control measures and opposing the growth of political Islam and countering terrorism. In fact, Charlie is a great friend of the United States of America And with this brief introduction, Charlie, we welcome you to America's Roundtable. Welcome, Charlie.
1: Welcome, Charlie.
2: Thank you so much. Great to be with you today.
1: Charlie, Sweden is a unique example of a capitalist economy and vibrant democracy with a large welfare state offering generous medical and retirement benefits which are carried through higher tax burden by taxpayers. In your piece published in February this year, you brought attention to the European Union's failed immigration policy. Charlie, could you kindly share with us how has Sweden dealt with immigration, primarily economic migrants, while keeping the welfare state intact? Well,
2: I would say that uh, the welfare state is suffering because of migration. But before going into the details, I I want to give you the broad picture, because immigration to Sweden during the last decades have been something that we've never seen before. The amount of foreign-born individuals in Sweden in 1950 was uh, 4%. Now it's uh, around 20% in just a few decades That's a revolutionary change. Since 1980, Sweden, which has a um, population of 10.2 million, have granted 2,638,000 residence permits. Sweden is the size of Michigan or North Carolina. So imagine what that would do to these states if a quarter of the population was to be foreign born within 30 years. So it's a huge change. And we see it in in schools. Schools are suffering. Parents who uh, officially are all in favor of high migration to Sweden are moving their kids to uh, less immigrant schools. We see uh, municipalities with a high degree of immigration suffering economically because of unemployment. We see certain suburbs outside Stockholm, Gothenburg, and Malmö being uh, increasingly influenced by orthodox Islam. So you see a lot of veils. You even see Sharia police in some of these uh, suburbs. So what I would say will be the challenge for the next decades is the maintenance of the taxation will of the people because uh, the Swedish high Tax rate is is based upon the high social trust in Sweden that uh, I pay a lot, but uh, I'm also getting delivered a lot of services, and if people see that uh, those tax hard earned uh, tax money is is going somewhere else to groups of people that came to Sweden from the outside they will be less prone to pay taxes this will be a heavy challenge for Sweden's decision makers in the years to come I think
1: and Charlie you just also mentioned Sharia police we know that in the illegal immigration wave in 2015 when over 1 million immigrants crossed the European Union's southern Balkan's border there were at least two terrorists who were responsible for the Paris attacks in 2015 that killed over 120 people how has Sweden Sweden and the EU dealt with a national security threat coming from radical Islamists crossing the borders and also how does this Sharia police that you just mentioned work in Sweden? These issues are very relevant in the United States today.
2: Well, unfortunately, the, the majority of the European Parliament, uh, which in, is the house in which I serve, is against the tougher measures at the border. They don't want to do any uh, DNA uh, tests, uh, DNA samples of, of individuals from third countries passing the borders. They have concerns for people's ability to apply for asylum inside Europe's borders, which is completely the wrong method, I think. I think that in order to mitigate migration, we have to have have hotspots outside the EU's borders, because once they're inside, the ability of of the EU member states to send them back is very limited. And then sometimes the political will is very limited. Quite recently, we saw another attack on European soil in Nice, in France, by an individual who came as uh, so-called paperless, i.e. illegal migrant, to Lampedusa, Italy, and then uh, went to France and uh, went on a killing spree in Nice, uh, decapitating an elderly woman in a church. Even no doubt, it was an Islamist attack. He could have been stopped if we actually wanted to to stop illegal migration. But uh, but this is a fight that is ongoing right now. The the EU Commission has launched a migration package and working here in the Parliament on improved. Sp- screening. So hopefully what we'll see is much, much better ability of the EU to to actually detect individuals who've been involved with terrorist groups upon their entrance of EU borders. Uh, so that's what I'm working for.
0: Charlie, President Donald Trump and his administration took a very different approach in addressing China's unsettling ambitions in its own backyard, China's schemes to steal intellectual property from the United States of America and the rest of the West, its unfair trade practices, and also last year's border clashes with India, the world's largest democratic nation. In fact, uh, America's leadership have called out China for human rights abuses in what Secretary Mike Pompeo, in in January 2021, accused Beijing's ruling Communist Party of committing crimes against humanity against the predominantly Muslim Uyghurs and other members of ethnic and religious minority groups in Xinjiang as far back as March of 2017. In fact, as we speak, EU taxpayer funds are being handed over to a Chinese company, which is building a bridge to nowhere in the EU Balkan member state of Croatia. And in fact, we all know that concerns regarding allegations of corruption on this particular case have been raised, as Croatia is known, for rampant corruption and the worst judicial system in the EU. Charlie, on April 13, 2021, The Wall Street Journal's Tom Fairless wrote, I quote: Chinese shipping groups own terminals or share ownership in around a dozen European ports, including Antwerp, Rotterdam, Valencia, and Marseille. U.S. officials have warned their European counterparts against excessive dependence on China. Unquote. Charlie, you recently communicated concerns about China and relayed salient points for European Union leaders to address. Could you kindly share with us your concerns and how alarmed? should Europe be about an emboldened China with an ambition to dominate with its background steeped in Marxism?
2: Well, we uh, should be very alarmed by China's aggressive behavior. Just in the last uh, month, uh, China has threatened Swedish journalists, blacklisted my colleagues in the European Parliament, as well as Nordic MPs. What we see, in fact, is that after centuries of an Anglo-Saxon-led world order, we we get a taste of uh, what anti-American protesters have been dreaming of for decades, a new world order. A new world order in which a gigantic superpower intends to subjugate small or economically weak countries by means of wolf warrior diplomacy, economic sanctions, military threats, and influence operations. What really worries me is that In the face of this historic ordeal, European so-called leaders are abandoning what could be a counterweight to China's totalitarian aspirations, which is a a vital transatlantic alliance. Recently, the uh, president of the European Council, the Belgian Charles Michel, stated that, uh, and I quote, the EU cannot be an indirect victim in the conflict between the United States and China, and we must therefore have our own independent policy. End quote. Uh, European decision makers who dream of a third way should be very careful what they wish for. They ought to reflect on what price future generations will have to pay if we don't stand up to Beijing now. There is no third way. The EU must stand with the United States and all our Western and democratic allies. The confrontation that many democracies, not least Australia, now have with the Chinese communist regime extends far beyond trade. It's about preserving the independence of smaller countries as well as our
1: democratic values and, and freedoms our way of life. Indeed, Charlie. Uh, Charlie, uh, Sweden had a unique approach during the COVID pandemic. A Swedish government recommended wearing masks during COVID last year. They did not mandate them. And a number of Swedish towns actually banned the masks in February this year and have kept bars and restaurants mostly open. Based on the data published by Statista on April 14, 2021, Sweden had a total of 1,328 deaths per million inhabitants compared to the United States, which had the Total of 1,709 deaths per million inhabitants. So, American death rate of 1.7% compared to Swedish death rate of 1.3% in the population. If we compare Michigan, which you raised, actually of the same size, and Sweden, which have similar populations and fairly similar climate, Sweden with over 10 million people and a total of 13,660 deaths with no masks requirement and coffee and restaurants that remain largely open, and Michigan with 9.9 million people reported the total of 17,757 deaths on April 13. Michigan, which had major COVID restrictions and placed tremendous burden on businesses and restaurants, had 4,000 more deaths than Sweden. Charlie, what is the current situation with the COVID in Sweden and how did Sweden manage to keep the death rate relatively low with lesser restrictions?
2: Well, I I would say that the death rate of Sweden, it's a bit worse than the rest of the Nordic countries, but it's not worse than the rest of Europe, which implemented quite tough measures, not least uh, Belgium, where I spend a lot of my time. And I think that one of the reasons Sweden has fared pretty well is because there's still existing social capital there. People listen to recommendations. People try to freely cooperate. And you don't have to use uh, the full force of the government to, to make people abide. But I also think that the Sweden case is influenced by the fact that there is a lot of single households in Sweden. It's not densely populated. And that's a few of the reasons uh, for Sweden's uh, quite low numbers. What we're talking about right now is how fast can we open up. And uh, I wouldn't miss, want to miss the opportunity to speak about the EU vaccination program, because uh, if I could only tell you one thing about the EU's approach, I would tell you that it uh, decided for an arbitrary start of this vaccination. So some countries who received uh, the vaccines earlier had to wait before the official start, which was on the 27th of December. Why the 27th? Well, EU, after Brexit, EU has 27 member states. So it was a symbolical date. So uh, for the EU to show off, to start the vaccination with fanfare, some countries had to wait. It would be as if the US uh, waited for the 4th of July to, to start some big health project that would save lives if it was implemented earlier. That's how the EU works. And it doesn't even work because uh, the EU was not prepared to handle vaccination because of uh, lack of experience, lack of uh, mandate. There is uh, no mandate in the treaties, which equals the US Constitution, pretty much, uh, for the EU to to handle health. But still, it wanted to do that. And Ursula von der Leyen, she, she infamously said that this is Europe's moment. Well, it's starting to feel as the U.S. Katrina moment, meaning that the federal government not being able to deliver upon its its promises. You see a vaccination right now in the UK, which is at 50%, while the EU is still struggling at 20%. And uh, hopefully, this will spark a debate on big EU government in, in Europe uh, and then make people realize that uh, handing over power to Brussels in many respects means more inefficiency and less action. Hopefully, the time of lockdowns will soon be over. I'm very happy that Sweden did not implement any lockdown. And I I am looking forward to academic research uh, comparing these cases because uh, uh, hopefully we will never see the type of uh, strict lockdowns that we saw in Europe and in parts of the U.S. for the rest of our lifetime after the academics have done their job.
1: Right. And Charlie, as you mentioned, uh, as a result of less restrictions on businesses, Sweden's economy contracted just by 2.8% in 2020 and very much better than the rest of Europe. Indeed. And the projected GDP growth is, uh, for 2021 is 3.2%. And your finance minister just mentioned this past week that by the end of this year, you will be back at the pre-pandemic GDP level. It's uh,
2: not looking uh, as bleak for Sweden as for many other parts of Europe. And I'm, I'm uh, very happy for that. But what politicians are rarely talking about now is the cost for the younger generations. Uh, I'm homeschooling this week myself. For me and my wife to homeschool our kids, it, it takes both of us to really go uh, fully into this uh, endeavor. And uh, it's, it's really tough. And it's tough for the kids, too. What price will they pay um, mentally and in terms of learning when All this is over and no one in Europe really talks about that. And I hope that uh, research will be done on that topic, too, so that we don't put them inside their houses in the future because it's really
0: damaging. This weekend on America's Roundtable, we're joined by Charlie Weimers. He's a freshman member of the European Parliament for the Sweden Democrats and sits in the European Conservatives and Reformers Group. Charlie, we thank you so much for your time and appreciate you joining us on America's Roundtable.
1: Thank you, Charlie. Thank you
0: so much. This is America's Roundtable from Washington D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit, in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest, and SuperTalk Mississippi Media's twelve radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel and Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Surdorge, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant.
1: America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org.